Okay, our passage tonight is a really long one, so hang in here with me. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called, brethren, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Lord, bless us now as we turn to your word. God, I pray that you would indeed open our hearts and give us grace so that we can give glory to you, so that we can be a part of you working in this community and around the world. Lord, we want to be people who are truly free, free to be the people you have created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the common complaints that Christians hear from those who don't who are not Christians is that Christianity is a straitjacket. It is something that takes away freedom, something that binds people. Rules, rules, rules. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? Now, it is ironic in my opinion that puritanical has taken the meaning it has. Because the Puritans themselves were full of life, they loved life, and they all had 12 or 14 kids. It was Victorian England that made prudism a virtue. My friends, Christianity is a remarkably freeing religion, and when properly understood and protected, it brings much more liberation than any revolution of the 1960s and 70s. Now, unfortunately, Christians have earned a negative image. Unfortunately, we are better known for what we're against than what we're for. And this is something I believe in my heart that we as Christians need to stop. We need to stand against this. We need instead to celebrate all that we are for. You and I must live by the freedom that God has granted to us. The point that I want to make for us tonight is that alive in Christ, we are free to be who God made us to be. So I'm going to seek a balance tonight as we uh, look at this verse. I want to strike a balance between limitations and freedoms. And in talking about how these two relate, they are not antithetical. Limitations or boundaries and freedoms. They are not two forces working against each other. And I want to begin by looking at a quote that helps us understand this idea. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, You do not become a master musician by playing just as you please, by imagining that learning the scales is sheer legalism and bondage. No. True freedom in any area of life is the consequence of regular discipline. It is no less true in the life of prayer or any other area of life that you may wish to discuss. We are tonight continuing our series on apologetics with a good old-fashioned expository sermon. We are continuing our series tonight on how to answer serious questions about our faith that come from both those who are not Christians at all and from the questions that occur in our very own hearts. 
that we as Christians have. And we're going to do this by going through Galatians 5.13 and seeing what it teaches us about freedom. We read it just a second ago. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In this one verse, we find that Freedom entails boundaries, limitations. Those natural boundaries define what is best for us as created persons, and it teaches us that this freedom involves looking beyond ourselves and loving and serving others. As I said a moment ago, freedoms and limitations or boundaries are not antithetical. They are, in fact, complementary. They help us to be the men and women that God has created to be. And that's why my main point tonight is that when we are alive in Christ, we are free to be the person that God made you and I to be. So, Let's break our verse into thirds and we'll begin. If you have your notes, hopefully you got some there on the bookcases in the back if you didn't. Uh, But we'll break our verse into thirds. And the first third is uh, telling us that freedom comes from living within natural boundaries. I take this out of the first part of Galatians 5.13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Now, Whether or not it's politically correct, human beings are a certain kind of being. We are most certainly not neither male nor female, as the Massachusetts legislator just decided, allowing at public schools boys and girls to use the same restroom. Boy, are we confused. No, instead, we are, in fact, either male or female, and true freedom will recognize these distinctions. They will recognize that we are a kind of being that God created us to be. Now, in my doctoral thesis, I'm going to be arguing that there are four aspects of what it means to be created in the image of God. I'm arguing that we are created in community, We are created with creativity and choice, and we are created to have rule. Haven't even seen our pictures yet. Chuck, doing a good job, dude. All four of these aspects, the one about uh, we are created in the image of God as, as community, we are created with creativity, with choice, and with rule. All of these are elaborated upon at length from the beginning to the end of Scripture. Now, I'm not claiming that this is all there is to be said about the image of God in mankind, but it is a convenient starting place. So my question is, what difference does it make what does this make, the fact that we are created in the image of God, what difference does this make in what human freedom is? And the answer is a great deal. It matters a great deal. Freedom in any meaningful sense must relate to the kind of creature that freedom pertains to. Freedom for a human being must enable, equip, Uh, generate more 
community, greater creativity, freer or healthier choices, and gracious rule. In fact, freedom must be related to the kind of being we're talking about. And my best example for that is looking at a fish. You may think that a fish is in terrible bondage in its bowl. So you think to yourself, I want to free this fish from this bondage by taking it out of the water, putting it in the grass. You didn't free the fish, you killed it. You take a person out of natural marriage or you start giving them free choice by destroying a fetus and what you get is not freedom. You get death. Quite literally, spiritual, emotional, and all too frequently even physical death. Now that may not be popular, but it's beginning to be backed up by statistics and are being broadcast all around. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And that is why you and I must quote-unquote limit our freedom to do the things that bring about a flourishing life, things that bring about fullness of life as human beings. Instead of living as our culture does, which is rotting from the inside out, as it seems everybody in the West is doing right now. I say this, I really mean this. Praise Jesus that the heart of Christianity is no longer in the West. It's no longer in Europe and North America. The heart of Christianity is in the South and in the East. The South and the East. Sorry. And all of this makes the truth of Romans chapter 6 all the more poignant. Look what Paul tells us. He says in 6.20-23, through 23, When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now that makes a huge statement about freedom and slavery, that in itself. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You loved this great stuff before you became a believer, but now you're ashamed of that quote-unquote freedom. The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, sanctification's end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage here is one more reason why the Bible is the most insightful book on human psychology ever, bar none. And it lets us ask the question, how often, how often when our eyes are open to the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, do we realize how many of the things that we used to hold as treasures, now we are ashamed of them. Now we want to push them away. We want to get them as far away from us as possible because they are things like lust and coveting and pride and bitterness. You see, give a list of sins like that very far and wide and people will scoff 
at you for calling those sins. So we ask, we ask ourselves and we ask them, why does, quote, doing the things that we are ashamed of so often equate to, quote, unquote, freedom in our culture? And the simple reason is pride. We don't want people telling us what we can and cannot do. So we will look at that poison and we will embrace it because we don't want people putting us in a, quote, unquote, straitjacket. But Ken Sandy, author of the book Peacemakers, said this. He said, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as it is finding the right ones, finding the right limitations, the right boundaries that enable us to be the men and women that God created us to be. The challenge for you and I is to search the good news for freedoms that you and I can find that will enable us to be who we are made to be so that we can be who we in our very deepest dreams long to be. You and I need to recognize that alive in Christ and in nothing else, no thing that we may covet, no relationship that we may desire, no circumstance that we may hold as the highest and best, none of these things will enable us to be free to be the person that God created us to be. Freedom indeed comes from living within natural boundaries. And secondly, freedom comes from living for the best. Let's look at the middle portion of our verse. Only do not lose your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now I'm going to do something funny with this part. I'm going to look at this middle section of our verse from two perspectives. The first one is a broader question that this clause relates to indirectly, but significantly for our our series that we're doing on apologetics. It's there for the purpose of explaining Christianity to all the haters. That's why we do apologetics. And secondly, I want to look more directly at the point that Paul is specifically making. We're going to do both. But the first one is I want to address the claim that Christianity in general stifles individuals to an, and to an even greater extent than just individuals, whole cultures. It stifles and puts them in a straitjacket. And this is a primary evidence that someone would say is Christianity is a stifling religion. But what I want to do is I want to look at the four main alternatives to Christianity. What are the four main things that you will find out there in the world that pose themselves as a valid or even a superior alternative to Christianity? And see how congenial, how how well they mix with other cultures. The first one I picked is Islam. Islam is remarkably, in fact, it's even militantly monocultural. It looks at the whole world and says, you guys have to do it the way we do it. Everywhere Islam obtains a large percentage of the population, Sharia law is enforced on the culture, no matter what that culture was before. And it's a very stifling, very bondage-creating religion. 
Another uh, alternative to Christianity is Judaism. And Judaism is world famous for being extremely monoculture. And because of the fact that they are so monocultural, the world has persecuted them for centuries in many contexts. Of course, that's humanly speaking. We know there are other reasons as well. The third alternative is Hinduism and Hinduism's little brother, Buddhism. Both of these are remarkable in their quote-unquote involuntary enforcing of those who practice these to become very much Eastern in their thought, in their actions, in their culture as a whole. And this is true wherever in the world they go. But what strikes me uh, as the most cultural, stifling alternative to Christianity, even more so than Islam, if that's possible, is Western atheism. Whether you find the atheism in its materialist form or its more existential or postmodern form, either way, it demands that you have a modernist Western view of the world. And if you don't, the atheists will scoff and mock and treat you as if you are nothing intellectually. My friends, Christianity, on the contrary, teaches this. And though some will say this is uh, something that to straitjacket us, to bind us, to limit us. Christianity, on the contrary, is something that goes and makes men and women free to be who they are, no matter what their culture. Tim Keller, in summing up African theologian Lehman Sane, and I was going to quote, make a quote by him, but it was a long one, so I, gave, I did the summary one. He says that the reason Christianity has been so successful, humanly speaking, in so many cultures, is that Christianity has adapted significantly and positively to the surrounding culture. Now he, this man Sane, is speaking specifically about Eastern African cultures, but in general uh, around the world. It's adapted to them significantly and positively to the surrounding culture without compromising its main tenets. Now, I've been in worship services deep in the heart of Mexico and in Haiti and in Germany. Those are the three countries other than the United States I've seen Christianity at work. And it is amazing how Christianity becomes a part of that culture and takes what is good from them and makes it even better. My friends, Christianity is not stifling. Christianity, being alive in Christ, enables you. It frees you. It equips you and empowers you to be all you were made to be by God himself. This is precisely why Christianity is more multicultural than any other religion and philosophy. And that's why this part of this verse, do not use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, is a part of changing men and women where they are. Whether you're with the Lanier's in Papua New Guinea, whether you're with the Lethans in Roma, uh, among the Roma people in Hungary, whether you're with uh, our friends, um, 
the Carmichael's in China. But that, I don't think, is Paul's main point. I, 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 I said that because I think it, it works, but Paul's main point, I think, is different. And that is, his main point is that freedom should never be confused with license. Freedom is self-determination while thinking, while reasoning, while anticipating what is best for yourself and the community around you. License, on the other hand, is self-determination without regard to responsibility or even reason. I think this is summed up best by poet John Milton when he says, No one... No one on earth can love freedom heartily from their heart and just really enjoy freedom unless they are actually, in fact, good people. Because only good people, only righteous people, only people who are striving for the best can truly love freedom. The rest love not freedom but license. If you're a literary person, you'll remember when Elizabeth Browning was talking to her sister, Jane, and she said, Jane, I can never be as happy as you are until I also have your goodness. My friends, that is the truth. It takes goodness to be someone who loves freedom. Peter, the Apostle Peter, also recognized this problem when he said in verse 16, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom, a.k.a. license, as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You know, I, I've been saying this, this next quote is quoted by Dallas Willard, and I know I found it through him, but I've been saying it for so long, I put it in my own words, and I could not find where he said it. But Dallas Willard said something like this, and this is the way I say it. Freedom is not doing what you want to do. Freedom is doing what you want to do when what you want is best. And Take a drug addict, for example. Is it freedom to go and take all the drugs you want? Or is it freedom to be able to push them aside because you know they're going to lead you down a path that will lead to death? Paul uses the word flesh. And flesh, as Paul uses it, is that part that remains in you following your conversion that is programmed to sin. Muscle memory is what doctors call the ability of people who, to ride bikes years after the last time they rode them or for our ability to drive a manual transmission car. That's muscle memory. Flesh, then, is the quote-unquote sin memory that enables you to struggle for mediocrity long after you surrendered to Christ. When you come to Christ, your flesh remembers how to nurture bitterness. Your flesh remembers how to culture lust. Your flesh remembers how to bathe in greed. And these are the things that we must overcome. These are the things that we must give no opportunity to so that we can be like Jesus. It is when we don't give opportunity to the flesh that we are able to know that being alive in Christ, we are then finally free 
to be who God made us to be. You, you, tonight, can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, overcome your flesh as you give no opportunity to it because you live free as God made you to be. Now, I want to say one more thing about this so that we're on the same page. Your body, your physical body that you touch is decidedly not sinful in and of itself. Christianity is the religion that asserts that our bodies are not evil, but as they are created, are good. So I want to warn you never to mistake the scripture that refers to the flesh as something to overcome as saying that this body is not good. Instead, I want you to realize that you are a good creation that will have a physical body for all of eternity that is recognizably you, and you need to overcome your flesh, this sin memory, so that you can grow in Christ. Our first point was freedom comes from living within natural boundaries. Our second was that freedom comes from living for the best. And last, freedom comes from living for someone else. The end of our verse in 5.13 says, but through love serve one another. How do we get this freedom? How do we enjoy this freedom? What do we do with this freedom? Through love we serve one another. Do you want real freedom, then live for someone beyond yourself. Do you want true happiness? Then love someone else extravagantly. Go all out in your love for that person. Love is service because you can serve someone without loving them, but you cannot love someone without serving them. And most certainly, you cannot love someone if their purpose, at least in your eyes, is to serve you. And boy, that is where our lost culture is today. And my friends, I'm not making this stuff up. Jesus' very best earthly friend, John, expands on Paul's idea. He says in 1 John 4, 19-21, he says, We love because he first loved us. That is how we get the idea to love. That's how we get the power to love. And if anyone says, I love God, but I hate this person next to me, that person is a liar. Man, those are tough words. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot. It's another harsh word. Very strong word. He cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you claim to love God, which... If you call yourself a Christian, you automatically, by definition, are saying you love God. Then you must love others. Fine, you say. But what does this idea of loving others have to do with freedom? 
I'm so glad you asked that question because Jesus has an answer for you. John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my words, then you are truly my disciples. Then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now to abide in Christ's word And to abide in Jesus' word is not so esoteric as some believe. You don't have to be some guru or a rocket scientist to understand what it means to abide in Jesus' words. You do have to be a Christian, though. Because to abide in Christ's word, which is the same thing as obeying his commands or trusting his promises, you simply need to turn to his word in the expectation of meeting him there. My friends, if you take God's word and you're going to take your pill of doing your morning devotions and you let so many words pass under your eyes, stop it! Don't do that! You're wasting your time! If, If you don't... Go to God's Word expecting to meet Him there, expecting to have Him show Himself to you, then you're not abiding in His Word and you're wasting your time. Instead, go with Him with the sense of actually meeting Him there. And do this often. Turn to His Word often. Now you ask me, well, what's often? And in the back of your head is sitting there thinking, yeah, whatever you say next is going to be legalism and I'm going to squash it. Well, my answer to that is there is no how often must I turn to his word. Just like there is no how often do I take communion. But there is a sense that the more you turn to his word in your heart. The more you go to God's word expecting to meet him there, then the more you will abide in his word. This is exactly why all the sermons you've ever heard have encouraged you to go to study his word, to memorize his word, to mull over his word. The Hebrew word for meditate means to murmur because the person meditating would say in a soft voice the verse over and over again so that it would fit in his or her heart. And my friends, memorizing Scripture is not a chore when you are abiding with Christ instead of merely checking off a box and doing it like you're swallowing a pill in the morning. Christianity is simple. It's not complex, but neither is it easy. And freedom comes from living in such a way that you are, quote-unquote, sacrificing your, quote-unquote, freedom by doing the things that everybody isn't doing. Because you want to gain that freedom that comes from being the only source of real, abundant, new, eternal life. 
God is the only source of real, abundant, new, and eternal life. And you can only have this life when you are abiding in, obeying, and trusting His Word on a regular basis. At least as much as you're watching Man versus Wild or Mythbusters. Yes, I have teenagers. That's what's watched in my house on Netflix. And you do this because, after all, he is the king of the universe and the rightful ruler of your life. Freedom is, in fact, living like there is a God, and you are not that God. Yeah, I made that up. Not. And my friends, you and I can live like this only when you understand that it is being alive in Christ that we are free to be the people who God made us to be. I want to give one last illustration about what this concept of freedom means. When a new computer program comes out, every year you get from Microsoft or Apple, there's all new computer programs are coming out all the time. And those of us who are geeks... We love this. And we're anticipating this new great computer program that comes out. And so it comes. We get on our desk and we start typing away. And we're playing with this great program that's supposed to make our life so easy. By the way, if that's not true with you, just pretend with me just for a moment, okay? And so we start using this program. But as all of us geeks know, that sooner or later, we find things that are wrong with it. There are bugs that need to be fixed. And so the program fi- programmer figures this out, and he comes out with a new version. Version 1.2, and then eventually version 2.0, and then finally version 7.6, whatever it is. But this newer version is is theoretically, closer to what it was originally meant to be, what it was supposed to be in the beginning, but it's better, faster, or in human terms, more mature. I have found in talking to people, and what used to be true in my own heart, is that many are afraid that if they let God rule their life, they will have to move to Tanzania or something. Well, that could be true. I actually have some friends, the Andersons, who are doing exactly that. But only if moving to Tanzania is what the best version of you would actually want to do, that you would enjoy doing, that it would be an expression of freedom for you to do. My friends... When you are abiding in God's Word, when you are living in light of Him, God is making you to be the best version of you, not a clone of someone else that you're looking at. That is what freedom, true freedom is. Allowing God to make you to be the best version of you to be. That is where you will be both willing and able to do what is very best for you, for the community around you, and ultimately for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. Because alive in Christ is where we are free to be the person that God made us to be. Let's pray. 
Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, we do give you praise. We do give you glory. And we ask that you would give us a truer understanding of this freedom so that we could live lives that show the people around us, those that are afraid of trying Christianity, that it's not what we are against that's important, but it's what we are for and what you have made us for that is most important. And you have made us to be free, to be the best people that you have created us to be. Help us to do that, to live for our good, for your glory, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and sing more love to thee.